Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the From Ballparks to Buzzer Beer Sportscast. I'm your host, Perry Martinez. And today, guys, we have a great episode on tap for you guys. So let's get straight to it. So, first off, I don't really have anything specific I want to focus on. Um, I'm going to do my MLB preview next week as um, as the season um, may have started by then. I'm just going to check how many games are taking place, but it's okay. I mean, it's a long season. So my episode for, the op- for um, previewing the MLB season will come out on opening day on Thursday, March 30th. So that will be next episode. With this episode, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in terms of diff- across different sports, um, different things going on with Boston sports. So I'll hit on all of those. And then I also wanted to touch on very quickly the March Madness because we have do have some thoughts on that one, and I also want to touch bases on the World Baseball Classic because I have gotten some um, some emails about that. What do I think about the World Baseball Classic? Do I think it's good? Do I think it's bad? What do I think about you know Edwin Diaz's injury and stuff like that? But I want to start off quickly with the New England Patriots just for a couple minutes or so here. Not much has gone on in terms of free agent signing since then, right? They're in the market for DeAndre Hopkins. Brandon Cooks got traded to the Cowboys. I think that helps the Patriots because that reduces a suitor in the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes. Per- personally, if you can get Jerry Judy instead, I would much prefer Jerry Judy. I think that he's younger. I think he's faster. He's played with Mack in college. I think... I would personally rather have Jerry Judy. Again, that doesn't mean that I don't want DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, I do. I need one of those guys from the Patriots. If I can get DeAndre Hopkins and OBJ or Jerry Judy and OBJ, that is a completely different offense. It already is a completely different offense. For me personally, I prefer Juju Smith-Schuster to Jacoby Myers, and I prefer Mike Gusecki to to um, Johnny Smith, which I'm sure a lot of people do. I think Mike Gusecki is going to have a big role in this New England Patriots team. But for me, the thing that I wanted to talk about regarding the Patriots was the all-time wins record in terms of head coach. The all-time wins record sits at 347. Bill Belichick is at 329. He needs 18 to pass, 18 to tie, 19 to win. The reporting coming out, of Patriots camp, of Chad Graff of The Athletic and Mike Reese of ESPN, is that two things. A, Belichick's primary motivation for coaching in his 70s is to break that wins record. And B, uh, the Crafts want to see Belichick do it as a member of the Patriots. So, there's a couple things we need to hit on here. First, I think... I think that is Belichick's primary motivation. I don't think there's any doubt against that. I think that obviously he wants to win another Super Bowl. But another Super Bowl will come hand uh, wins and Super Bowls will eventually follow, hopefully, if you're the New England Patriots. Number two, I think that Belichick doesn't like Don Shula. If this was a guy like a guy that he idolizes, like Paul Brown, like George House, that's a completely different scenario. But him and Don Shula are known to have kind of a rocky relationship. Shula famously called Belichick Belichick 
they didn't really get along. Um, Don Shula did pass away, but I think that's what Belichick wants. Now, the part that I really want to hit on is will the Crafts let him break it as a member of the New England Patriots? We're talking 19 games. So realistically, this team went 9 and 8 and 8 and 9 the past two years. Excuse me, 10 and 7 and 8 and 9. That's 18 wins. So that's not enough. I think if you're Bill Belichick and you get to 8, 7 wins to completely be safe from firing. I think 6 wins, then you're looking at can the Patriots really win 13 games in one season? Because you also have to look at it like this if they go 6 and 11 next year, Mac probably had a bad year, just playing the odds. Mac probably had a bad year. They're going to need a full retool at the quarterback position. Then what happens? Then maybe it takes two years, maybe even three years if they completely bottom out. I don't think the Crafts want to wait that long. I think the best case scenario is Belichick breaks the record in the next two years. After 2024, he retires. Jerron Mayo takes over. I think that's what everybody's plan is. That should be the goal for the New England Patriots. Now the question becomes, what if he doesn't break in two years? Do you bring back Bill for that third year? If I'm the Crafts, obviously you want him to stay here. Obviously. And can the Crafts handle being the owners that say, hey, Tom, we let Tom Brady leave, right? We let Tom Brady leave. He went out and won a Super Bowl. And then we let Bill Belichick leave. He went with another team, set the wins record, and maybe maybe he has a great year. Maybe he even wins a Super Bowl as a coach of another team. Then not only are the Crafts the owners that lost Tom Brady when he still had something left, but they also lost Bill Belichick too. The question becomes, if Bill doesn't do anything after he hypothetically gets fired from the Patriots, then it doesn't matter. But right now, Bill is on the hook for a lot of the Brady stuff. Will that change if Belichick hypothetically leaves? I think I think Belichick's pretty much locked in for two more years. Barring a complete bottom out next year, and I think they're too good to bottom out. They're going to be around 7 Seven to twelve wins. Twelve, eleven wins is a little high. My guess is they're going to be around eight or nine, but they're not good enough to be one of these four-win team top five picks. They're not. They're too good. They're too good. So I think Belichick's base essentially here for the next two years. I hope he breaks in the next years. I want to see what Jerome Mayo can do. People have had glowing reviews of Jerome Mayo, so I think it's going to be very, very interesting if Jerome Mayo is able to step in for the New England Patriots. The next thing I wanted to talk about was I did want to go to the NBA and the Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics are in second place in the Eastern Conference. Two games back of Milwaukee. Milwaukee has 71 games, so they have 11 games left to play. Celtics are at 73 games, so they only have nine games left to play. So it looks like the Bucks are going to get the one seed. Looks like the Bucks are going to get the one seed. Sixers... Are only game back of the Celtics. So it is a possibility that that the Celtics do fall to the three seed. But if I'm if I'm the Boston Celtics here, let's play devil advocate for a second. And we're gonna get to the Jalen Brown news in just a minute here. But it's gonna be between two and three. Right now the Heat and the Nets are jostling for two and three. I don't think the Knicks are going to fall down to six. So the Nets and the Key are going to be jostling for that 2-3 matchup in the 6-7 spot. 
That's pretty much a dead heat right now. Pretty much a dead heat. The Nets are up half a game with a game in hand. If I'm the Celtics, I don't want to face the Miami Heat. I'm not going to sacrifice my playoff seeding and do so, but I would I, I would very much like to avoid the Miami Heat. I think you can handle the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, there's going to be no easy matchups in the playoffs, right? We know this. But I'd rather play the Brooklyn Nets if I'm the New England, if I'm the Boston Celtics, excuse me. But I'm hoping I get the two seed. I'm hoping the Heat get the six seed. They play the Philly. And then I'm hoping that the Atlanta Hawks or Raptors, some, uh, preferably the Hawks, it looks like it's going to be if the standings held true, beat the Nets in the playoff tournament. That's your seven seed because I think the Celtics should beat. Look, the Celtics should beat all of these teams. This is a team that should go to the NBA Finals. They're the most talented team in the East. Don't sell yourself short on that. That's fact, not opinion. They have the best two in the league, arguably the best two in the league, best depth in the league, no question. That's what I'm looking at from the New England Patriots. This is a team that needs to go out and win. Then you have this killer instinct that for some reason it looks like they haven't possessed all year. Then you wake up, wake up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you wake up, go to work, the, again, I'll say it again with the Celtics. The problem with the Boston Celtics is that too many players do not know their roles. Too many players do not know their roles. Jason Tatum, taking the 8th most isolation attempts in the league, scores that at 53rd percentile. That's too much. Essentially, we're getting league average play in isolation for a guy that's taken the 8th most attempts. That's too high. Too high. Too many attempts. He's 40.9 isolation. You also know what um, what Marcus Smart is from isolation? 40.9%. Jalen Brown is 41.3. So they, they don't have a good isolation player. Honestly, their best isolation player might be Malcolm Brogdon when he just goes one-on-one and goes to the rim. But that's a whole different conversation. The thing that annoys me about Boston Celtics is too many pull-up threes they live or die by the three. Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, you cannot, if you have watched the Celtics at all this year, if you have watched the Celtics at all and watched them in depth and paid attention, you cannot tell me with a straight face that Marcus Smart has been better than Derek White this year. You can't because it's not true. It's not true. Derek White, I would argue, has been the has been the most consistent performer. He hasn't been the best player, but he's probably been the third best player on this team. Derek White should be getting minutes over Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart should know what his role is. Marcus Smart's role is to pass the ball, play good perimeter defense. He's not doing either of those well. Tell him to go, Marcus, go in the corner, let Tatum, Brown, Brogdon drive, kick it out to you, you shoot the three. Marcus Smart should, the only shot that, the only three-point shot that he should practice in the gym are catch and shoot. Catch and shoot from the wing. Catch and shoot from the corner. That's it. That's it. Period. Grant Williams is a guy that has fallen out of favor. He's had a good past couple games here. Look, I'm not a Grant Williams fan. I hate that he complains to the refs. He's another guy that is clearly in it, I think, for the contract year, and I think that's messing with his head. But he's a guy that they're going to need come playoff time because I'd rather have him playing than Blake Griffin or Mike Muscala playing. 
He's more athletic, better defender, can shoot the ball better. Period of the discussion. That's what the Celtics need. I'd rather have him playing than Sam Hauser. So Grant Williams needs to focus up. But getting you the Jalen Brown news that he hasn't been he hasn't felt welcome in Boston. Um, I haven't read the complete article, but essentially the essence of the article is that Brown feels as though black athletes have been exploited by the colleges, which happened when he was at Cal. And he's feeling very similar things as a member of the Boston Celtics. Now the question is, is Brown unhappy with the Celtics' front office? Is he unhappy with the Celtics, his role on the Celtics? Or is he just unhappy with the organizational society, stuff like that? You see, there's been talk that he's going to request a trade in the offseason. I wouldn't be surprised. I think this is why he was shopped in the Kevin Durant deal. I think they said, I think Brad Stevens knew. He said, look, Jalen Brown isn't really enjoying it here. We should maybe look at trading him. Not a bad idea. I think you look at trading him in the offseason. Obviously, he gets a super max if he makes All-NBA. I don't think he's going to make All-NBA. So there's a very real question that next year is his last year on his deal. Plays it out, goes to free agency, you lose Jalen Brown for nothing. I've heard people suggest that, hey, you know, you go out, you call up Miami, and you say, hey, I'll give you Jalen Brown for Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler. I've heard you call up teams like Toronto. Maybe you get pretty much all of their players and all of their wings. Siakam, Barnes, and Anubi, who's a free agent anyway. So we'll see what happens. I, I've heard people say, trade him out to the West. Maybe trade him to a team that's trying to make, make a splash. Maybe trade him to the Pelicans for some combination of Brandon Ingram and picks. I don't really know. Look, I hope Jalen Brown stays here. He's a very important part of this team. But if he's unhappy here and he demands a trade in the offseason, that is a very, very real problem for the Boston Celtics because they're not going to be able to go out and get another guy that's as good. Maybe this is a chance for Tatum and Bradley Beal to play together. We will have to see. But that's pretty much my Celtics spiel um, there. I did want to hit on March Madness quickly and then the World Baseball Classic. We'll start with March Madness. Big upsets, right? Biggest one, Fairlight Dickinson being produced 63-58. Second 16 seed make it to the round of 32 where they lost to Florida Atlantic. Um, let's talk about the East. I had Duke coming out of the East. Um, I said I didn't like Purdue. That ended up hitting. I said Kansas State would lose in the first round. Eh, that didn't look so well. Michigan State always wins at least a game of tournament. And then they beat Marquette. So, that's a bit of a surprise. That's definitely an upset. Kansas State, Michigan State in the East as one Sweet 16 matchup. Watch out for Michigan State. They can win this game. Kansas State's a good team. And then Duke losing to Tennessee. That hurt me. Um, that did kind of hurt. But they're playing for Atlantic, Tennessee. Is Tennessee should easily make it to the Elite Eight. Should be Tennessee, Kansas State. The question is, can Tom Izzo invoke some... Um, more magic in the East region, but that East region is completely messed up. Um, that's really where I want to start. And then the South, 
You've got Arizona losing first round. Princeton advancing near the Sweet 16. Third straight 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16. After St. Peter's who made it to the Elite 8. And... And um, Oral Roberts the year before made it to the Sweet 16. I think, other than the Furman win over Virginia, this has been pretty much what I've expected. Outside of Princeton and outside of Furman, this has been what I've expected in the South. I expected Alabama to pretty much romp their way to a Sweet 16. I thought San Diego State would get there behind a good defense. They've allowed 57 and 52 points. They have had an easy road, though, being called the College of Charlestown and Furman. That's going to be a tough matchup for Bama, though, even with that defense, but I still think Bama wins it. I had Creighton winning, and I, then I had Creighton being Baylor. I have an Alabama-Creighton Elite Eight. That dream is still alive. And um, But Princeton, Princeton can shoot. Princeton can shoot. I wouldn't be surprised if they do beat Creighton. It would be a massive upset for sure. But the way that they shoot the ball, the best way for lower seats teams to advance is to be able to shoot the ball well. You can't play great defense. You got to shoot, and Princeton can definitely shoot the ball. I still think it's going to be Alabama creating in the Elite Eight, and I'm feeling good about Alabama winning the national championship. They've looked like the most dominant team this tournament. Then in the West, the only upset that you had was that I – um, had was I had Miami losing in the first round to Drake, and then I had Indiana being Drake. So, other than that, I have all three of the Sweet 16s: Houston, Miami facing, and then Xavier, Texas in the other Sweet 16 matchup in the Midwest. This region has been pretty much what I thought was outside of Miami. Um, I did think Pitt would win, and then I did have Xavier being Pitt, and then Texas has looked pretty good, looked better than I thought. I thought they were were at risk of losing to Penn State due to how good Penn State looked against Texas A&M. I have a Houston Xavier Elite Eight. That dream is still alive. I have Houston in the Final Four out of this region. If Marcus Sasser can stay healthy, I said this at the beginning of the tournament, Houston should make it to the Final Four. And then finally in the West, again, this is the other uh, region where the ones he lost, where Kansas got defeated by Arkansas. In the round 32, I think a, a, I've heard a couple people have had that. I think it was something like 12%. I didn't have that. I had Kansas losing to UConn in the Sweet 16, though. UConn has made it. They look very, very good, being killing Iona, pretty much dominating St. Mary's. They should beat Arkansas and move on to the Elite Eight. TCU looked good against Arizona State and then almost was able to beat Gonzaga, but Gonzaga has looked good as well. This tournament, Ida-Gonzaga-UCLA Sweet 16 matchup as well. This is going to be, I think, one of the better games of the tournament thus far. There's been a couple of good games. But Gonzaga-UCLA, I have Gonzaga, but this is pretty much a pick em. So just to clarify, I still have six of my Elite 8 teams left and three of my four Final Four teams. The only region region I completely messed up on was the East region where Purdue was the one seed and Marquette was the two seed because I had Marquette and Duke facing off in the Elite Eight. But it's been a great tournament so far. Lots of upsets. As a basketball fan, I'm hoping Princeton makes it to the Final Four just because I think that would be hysterical. That would kill my bracket. But it'd be pretty fun to watch. And then I hope I need UConn in the national championship game. But my Alabama-UConn national championship game is still a possibility. That's a lot more than other people can say right now. But looking forward to the Sweet 16 starting today. I do not know what times the game start. My guess is somewhere around 2 o'clock. Um, they'll have 
there's eight Sweet 16 games. They'll have four Thursday, four Friday, and then the Elite Eight, two Saturday, two Sunday. So it's going to be a good weekend of college basketball. Nothing beats that first weekend of March Madness, but I'm interested. You see, the Sweet 16 has potential for fireworks, especially with Princeton in the south and that east region where just a lot can go wrong very, very quickly. And then just to finish up here, I wanted to talk about the World Baseball Classic, Japan beating the U.S. 3-2 in the gold medal game. I've heard a lot of people have asked me my thoughts on it. I think it's great. Um, I did the, when James and I did the best sports events in best sports events um, draft on draft day, I had the first pick. I took the World Cup number one overall. There's a couple reasons why. One, soccer is such a um, such a populated sport, big, um, most globally popular sport across the globe. But how does that connect to the World Baseball Classic? Part of which makes the World Cup so special is the players that are playing for their country. They're playing for their nationalities. The pride that these players have is unmatched. The fans, some of the U.S. Does not have the best baseball fans, not have the best soccer fans, but teams in soccer like England, like France, like Argentina, like Brazil, those people live and breathe soccer. And then the World Baseball Classic, Japan, any team in Latin America, name it, Mexico, Cuba, Puerto Rico, the DR, those guys love baseball. That's what makes these world-type events, that's what makes the Olympics so popular, is the pride and the the unity this really showcases the unity that sports has to bring an entire country together. An entire country together, which is why I think the World Baseball Classic is great. I, I watched a little bit of it. I watched a little of the Japan-Mexico semifinal, which was, I think, the best game all tournament. Uh, Trey Turner's eighth inning Grand Slam in the quarters was unreal. That was phenomenal. Um, and then the final was good. I mean, we got the best moment that we wanted to see. We saw... The two best players in the world facing off. Full count, bottom of the ninth, two outs, Shohei Otani strikes out Mike Trout. As I'm, I'm not going to call myself a diehard baseball fan, but I am a baseball fan. As a baseball fan, how could you not love seeing one guy who throws 102 miles an hour and is has won an MVP in his three years here, probably should, could have had last year's if Aaron Judge doesn't break the record, strike out his teammate, who has been widely considered the greatest player in baseball basically for a decade until Otani showed up and took the AL MVP um, in 2021. What more could you ask for? It's kind of, but not really similar to Kylian Mbappe and Lionel Messi having to go back and play on the same team, which Otani and Mike Trout are going to have to do. But especially a team like the Angels that just has not made the playoffs, it's awesome to see Mike Trout, a guy who hasn't played in the playoffs since his rookie year, I believe, where he got swept by the Kansas City Royals, facing off against Shohei Otani. And the Angels are probably not going to make the playoffs again this year. This is probably going to be the biggest game they play in all year. Probably the biggest game of Mike Trout's... M- baseball career and to see him where one swing of the bat can change the game facing off against Shohei Otani the two greatest baseball players Hollywood could not have written a better script that's what's going to get the most attention rightfully so 
People have said about the injuries with Edwin Diaz and Jose Altuve. Edwin Diaz is out for the year. Jose Altuve has a thumb fracture kind of out indefinitely right now. Obviously, and that's a part of the game no one wants to see. You don't want to see Edwin Diaz win the game, probably the game's best closer, go out for the year with, I, I believe, a torn patella. And you don't want to see Jose Altuve, um, one of the best second basemen in the league, go out with a thumb injury um, for the foreseeable future. Obviously, that's not what you want to see. But that shouldn't discourage players from participating in the World Baseball Classic. Although the games are more intense, although there's you, you're playing all nine innings as opposed to spring training games where you're still playing four innings, there's still risk for injury in spring training. There's still risk. But the World Baseball Classic is special. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to see what Edwin Diaz and Jose Altuve say about it, especially because those are the guys that suffered the injuries. See if they will play. Um when the next World Baseball Classic takes place. But look, I think it's a great event. I really, really do. I think it's great for fans of the game globally. It's great for a team like Japan, who they have a lot of players, they have their own baseball league, very talented baseball country, to go able and play and to watch the team play you know, the arguably the greatest lineup ever assembled in baseball history with the Americans. I mean, you had Trey Turner hitting nine. I mean, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Kyle Schwarber, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, the list goes on and on and on. That's elite. It was an elite lineup. And then, not to mention the teams like in Latin America, the Dominican Republic, the pre-tournament favorites with Juan Soto, Rafi Devers, and Julio Rodriguez. Facing off against Puerto Rico. I mean, those those two countries truly live and die baseball. Very passionate about their baseball. Awesome to see those two teams going at it. I think the one, I th- if I'm trying to improve the World Baseball Classic, I want more um, elite pitchers to go in there. Edwin Diaz, obviously, in Japan had the good pitchers. But especially for America, you had guys like Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander. Those guys could have showed up. They chose not to. Obviously, pitchers are a little bit different, bigger uh, risk of injury. But that would be my primary goal is to try and get some of the game's more elite pitchers to pitch in the World Baseball Classic. Um, But that will do it for me today, guys. As always, thank you for listening. As I mentioned, next week will be MLB, and we will also preview the men's March Madness Final Four. We couldn't touch on Bruins today. Um, to be honest, I don't really want to talk about them. I think it's kind of a jinx, but we will talk about them at some point here in the near future. As always, guys, visit our website, www.fromballparks.com. Our Instagram is there, our Twitter is there, our Gmail is there. Guys, email us any positive or negative feedback, segment ideas. Um, maybe just want to talk about sports, maybe even want to be on the show. I'm sure we can figure something out. But that will do it for me today, guys. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Perry Morzino signing out with the From Ballparks to Buzzer Beer Sportscast. Have a good one, everybody.